Welcome to Future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, and together we'll explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Future of XYZ is presented in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Hello, and welcome to the 25th episode of season four, 115th episode of Future of XYZ. Uh, in the last three years, it's a great topic uh, to close out the year and a very relevant topic that we're going to be discussing today just around the holidays, um, which is the future of caregiving. We have two extraordinary guests from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rhode Island with us. Um, Martha Warford is the president and CEO. Martha, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and Dr. Farah Shafi is the chief medical officer at Blue Cross Blue Shield and has spent her career as a practicing OBGYN physician, uh, started at Columbia University in New York City. Um, so thank you so much, both of you, for being here. Um, we're going to dive right in because caregiving is a very, very big topic. Um, it's quite broad. And I feel personally like it is growing in importance. Maybe it's my age uh, and, and the sandwiching that's happening with my friends, or maybe it's something else, but uh, we're going to dive in and give ourselves as much time as possible. And the first question that I always ask, you know, we want to ground listeners in the topic. So I just ask, you know, each of you very, very briefly to, to, to define caregiving um, as we're going to be speaking about it today. For sure. And I'm happy to start. And first of all, thank you for having us on your show and for your interest in this really important topic. And for us caregiving, we really think about it as that unpaid caregiving. So the caregiving that you may be doing for a family member or another loved one. Uh, so that's the context in which we'll be talking about caregiving today. Um, thank you for that. I, I mean, I, I kind of figured that. And I think what's, what's incredible to me about that definition is we're talking about family and friends or neighbors or whatever, but really family, having to bear a burden that a system one would assume once upon a time or a community. I mean, there seems to be a transgression in kind of the social contract on this topic, which is why it's so, so, so relevant. I think what's so interesting to me is it's not just about perhaps love and attention as we think about caregiving. You know, you think about taking care of a child and caregiving. Um, this is something about the growing challenge of people living with, as we talked about, people living longer, the sandwich generation where you're taking care of young people and old people, perhaps shifting economic or household dynamics. I mean, there's lots of factors at work here. I mean, you both have spent your careers in healthcare. Um, one is a business executive and the other is a practicing medical physician um, with crossover on both. But what is, very briefly, the current state of caregiving in the U.S.? I think in this country, there has been a sharp um, decrease in the number of multi-generational households and things that sort of built in that community and that social fabric you talked about um, at the outset. You know, and, and thank you for having us on on this uh, podcast. I think I can talk about personal experiences of myself coming from a child from an immigrant family and then also experiences with my colleagues. And I think that in general, our society thinks differently about caregiving. And I think it also really goes to your point about the social construct that's in place in the U.S. compared to other nations. Um, Dr. Shafi, would you mind just sharing with us some data about, I mean, I did my research and I was a little humbled, I have to say, 
Um, can you just share some data around how many people are caregivers today in the U.S. and how common or prevalent this, uh, let's call it a problem, is? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that it's it's a great question and it's something that um, we're kind of looking at in general. I think that we do a lot of work with a with an association, um, a company called Archangels, and they gave us data related to how prevalent this issue is. And according to their data, one in two people are actually caregivers. And that would be caregivers, as you mentioned, they could be parents, there could be um, special needs children, there could be children, their own children on their own. And, and so it's really a prevalent issue within our society in the U.S., yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's mind blowing because it also, of course, we talk about, you know, the social fabric and, and immigrant families versus others. I mean, what I was looking at, which, of course, is not surprising, is, you know, the burden falls uh, disproportionately on women um, and also households of color. Um, so those those are interesting side statistics, especially since, I mean, I think we, Martha, maybe you'll take this because, I mean, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago in the heat of the pandemic, you know, having conversations on panels and, and, and you know, these virtual conferences. And we were talking about, you know, the she session and, and, and the role of women and, you know, where the disproportionate amount of caregiving in the home, um, the invisible work was bare, was was really showing up and women were having to leave the workforce in droves. Um, that's bounced back, fortunately, but I'm not sure that actually... The responsibilities have, have have shifted all that dramatically, um, so it has a big effect on careers, on economics, on our emotional and well being. Um, you know, I, I think you have a personal experience with this. If, if I've if I've been told correctly, can you share anything about that as it pertains to maybe helping better support both our friends and our family, but also our, maybe ourselves as, as as this time comes. For sure. And I would just say, maybe if I can interject this, which is, I think for me, I think about it in multiple ways, caregiving, right? So we're a big insurer in the state of Rhode Island. And so I think about it in the lens of what is our obligation to our members and how do we support them? Because um, they're just like me and Farah and a lot of people that we know who are busy uh, acting as unpaid caregivers. And so there's um, a lot of work we're doing to support ins insurers just so we can raise the overall health because the stress for women particularly, but for people in general has been very high. And again, your probably made really evident through through the pandemic as we saw everybody's kids and, and animals and everything else come on to Zoom calls. Um, uh, and I would just say our members are also um, struggling with this as well. And so we spent a little time um, on how do we help our members, particularly the most vulnerable ones, navigate um, for themselves, for um, their parents, where they might be caregiving and things like access to affordable housing, access to food. So there's a lot that people are juggling uh, right now. I would also say as an, a large employer, right, we worry a lot about our teammates, our associates, and how they're handling the sort of dual jobs that they might have of what they do for us as an employee, but also how they support their families. And then lastly, I would say as a as a person and the people I support in my family, I feel it very acutely. And it's been amazing how common that is across our organization where people are really, really, both men and women, I know you opened with some um, perspective on women. I think when you think about childcare, that is a disproportionately um, felt burden by women. 
as you think about older parents, the, some of the data actually shows that um, that can be, um, you know, shared uh, among men and women. And I know, or you have some of the data as well. Yeah, I, I believe so. It was the one in two number in terms of how many people are caregivers. And actually, when you look at the overall, not just the parents um, of children, it really happens to be that a large majority of the caregiving is falling on men in that population. So it's just an interesting perspective. It depends on who you're looking at. Which also, it's also interesting because last night as I was going to bed at whatever hour it was, um, you know, looking through my news feed and of course uh, it was an article from September, but I thought it was very relevant and it was talking about how men are underprepared to be caregivers, but they're starting to have to do it more for el elderly parents. I was like, well, isn't that well targeted? Yep, absolutely. And I think well-prepared is an interesting conversation about, um, I think that's the, it speaks to the need that we need to do how healthcare companies need to put forth, whether it's us as an insurer working with our members or as an employer, making sure that our employees are equipped with some of those tools. Well, that's an important point because, I mean, coming back to Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rhode Island obviously is a very large, it's the state's largest insurer. You have over 850, you know, employees. And I think when you talk about members, just to put it in context for listeners, they're about 400,000. So this is, uh, this is not a small operation. Um, it may be the smallest state, but it is a large operation of insuring um, a state that's quite mixed also um, in, in terms of demographics and socioeconomic. Um, I'm, I'm curious as we think about that, the raising awareness, both, you know, there's the benefits. We're the only country in the world that or one of four in the developed world that provides no paid leave of any kind. Right. I mean, as is uh, I, I, I had the future paid leave early on with um, the, the USPL um, group uh, speaking about that. So it's one thing for employees. How do you raise awareness? How do you provide better benefits? And then it's another thing from an insurance perspective about how you um, can raise awareness and and provide resources and also support. Um, just talk about why is this so important and and how how are you going about it in 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 terms of best practice? Sure, and I'm happy to start, and then for maybe you can um, layer in as well. Uh, and I would um, maybe I can start with a little bit of a story about sort of how this became such a priority for us. If that if that's okay with you, right? All right. So we actually had our annual summit where we bring all of our employees together. And I invited uh, the co-founder of Archangels, the uh, organization that Farah just referenced, uh, the our keynote speaker. And she gave a bunch of the data that that we've seen and started to talk about around what is happening out there of, of all these unpaid caregivers who just, you know, are really, really stressed. And so if you think about the mental health challenges that people are facing, the high levels of suicide. There's there's this whole spectrum of the way that stress manifests. Um, so we did that, and then we um, we had some conversation and showed um, a video of some leaders talking about their own personal caregiving and what they're facing, and it really was really moving. And then we actually said, okay, everybody with us today. If you're facing, if you're a caregiver and you're dealing with this, stand up. And what was amazing is the whole room stood up. And so I think all of us were on our own little journeys trying to manage, right? Trying to juggle, trying to handle this. And I think the moment we had that conversation, everybody looked around at each other and said, oh my goodness, this is all of us. 
it really changed our orientation to this as an issue that people are dealing with. And maybe like you, it's it's time of life, right? And I'm very much in that sandwich generation. Um, but so are uh, everybody else in our organization. Um, and so we have been taking steps to really normalize the conversation about caregiving because, um, first of all, we need to thank people, right? People need to feel valued. Um, but secondly, they need to be able to ask for help, right? And they need to be able to, to raise their hand and say, I actually need to go take you know, my mom to an appointment or I need to go do uh, X, Y, Z. And so I can't, I can't, I need a colleague to step in. Or sometimes stress is so much, you just really need to talk about it, right? And I'll tell you if you want later that my Thanksgiving uh, break, which everybody, my, you know, lots of people are like, oh, you have a great Thanksgiving. I'm like, oh. Um, so, you know, I can share a little bit what that, what it's like to be in the sandwich generation for anybody who is not experiencing it, which probably isn't very many people. Um, so we're really on a journey for us as an organization and as an employer to normalize the conversation and then, um, go beyond recognizing it and create programs. So to your comment on paid hey, leave, we've actually doubled the amount of time we give to our, uh, associates when they have a situation with a serious condition from a family member that they need to go take care of. So that's something that's real and is important. Um, and what's also encouraging is that we are doing this with a handful of other large employers who are piloting this in Rhode Island. So we're supposed to try to act as, a, as an employer ourselves, but also to catalyze the conversation within, within the environment. And Laura, I don't know if you want to add more on what we're doing um, within our organization because it's quite a bit. Yeah, it's quite a bit. And I think going back to your point about that that exercise of having people stand up and acknowledging themselves as caregivers, I think is the first step because people think of it as, I'm not a caregiver. This is just my family member. But in reality, if you look a little bit more about the amount of work that is involved, whether it's a you know, a family member like a child or an older adult in your family, I think that it's really telling how much it does. Navigating all the systems of insurance and medical and, and, and the healthcare system and the social supports, which some people are not even aware of. So to your question, Martha, on what else we're doing besides the family, the paid leave, also resource groups are really important. We have employee resource resource groups, which are basically groups that we have, affinity groups, for our employees to get together and have that support. And we've sort of rebranded that from being more of a parents at work to more of a caregiving support group to really speak to the fact that this is a little bit more than parents figuring out how to work in the workspace. It's really a little bit more broader about the topic of caregiving. And that's a really helpful Ben, really helpful. I mean, as you said, resources on, and and also recognizing when you're not alone, right? I mean, there's there's so much power as we know in 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 in, in community. I, I one of the things that you you mentioned earlier is, um, you know, the mental health toll that it, that caregiving can take. Um, as I was researching this topic, um, you know, I, I I read an article. I think it was by the CDC or, um, you know, Centers for Disease Prevention or, or one of the other big you know U.S. organizations, and it describe caregiving for family and friends as a public health crisis, um, which was kind of startling, to be really honest. What are some of the health impacts that you guys have, are seeing related to caregiving as insurers? Yeah, and I think that's a great question, because if you look at the numbers, they are staggering. Um, you know, 
I think that when people are have the stress of caregiving, they tend to turn to unhealthy outlets. And if you look at the numbers that we have from the data that Archangel shared with us, um, 50% of people are coping with food. And when we have an epidemic of, um, you know, obesity and overweight and some of the chronic health conditions that are associated like diabetes and heart disease, you can see the impact that just is compounded by the fact that it's the stress from caregiving. Um, you know, 70% of people that are caregivers are struggling with significant mental health needs. And when you think about the mental health crisis that the country is under, I would say that this is also adding to that, those issues. And then when you also look at the rates of substance abuse amongst caregivers are up to 33% compared to, I believe it was 5% in the general population. And I think the most staggering effect, and I, and, you know, I don't mean to throw multiple statistics, but I also feel like the most staggering effect was the rates of suicidal ideation um, amongst those who are caregiver. And it might be 4% of the general population, but for those that are in that sandwich generation, it's up to 52%. So I would agree wow. with this perception of caregiving being part of a crisis. And I think it really feeds into this crisis related to the ongoing health issues our social construct in this country, and then what do we, what are some of the issues or some of the strategies that we can employ both as an employer and a healthcare company to address this issue? I I, I find it interesting because we're talking about so many aspects of this and and all of that suicidal ideation, you know, it's, it's, it's the end of the line. It's like when you can't take anymore, when you're just, you know, you're subsumed with your worries and your stresses. And I mean, just as an individual trying to navigate the medical system for basic general health care is hard, much less if you are a single parent, much less if you are English as a second language, much less if any anything, right? And you're doing it for multiple generations. Um, I find it interesting um, in researching both of your bios, both of you sit on boards that deal with, nonprofit boards that deal with food insecurity. I don't know if that's a coincidence, but it certainly feels to me like that's also a potential fallout of all of this, which is, you know, if you can't work or you can't work full time because you have to give full time care, is is there a correlation? Sure. I mean, I'm happy to start. I would just say for us, health is so much more than what happens within the healthcare system. Right. So we spend a lot of energy thinking about what we call as the social determinants of health. Um and what are those social needs or social factors that really contribute? And food's a huge one. So access to nutritious food is a core part of keeping a person healthy. And when you are also taking on the burden of being a caregiver, it's really, really hard to um, find the time and have the financial resources to access nutritious food. And Unfortunately, in the state of Rhode Island, we just had um, the the food bank, which I'm on the board of, as you referenced, just came out with the national, I mean, with the um, with the hunger, the state hunger survey, and almost a third of Rhode Island households do not have access to adequate nutritious food. So we are in a crisis here around food um, that we are, as a community member, trying to do what we can. We just raised a bunch of money, um, leading up to Thanksgiving at the organization. Um, and, um, we're trying to do that for the community. We also do a lot of work for our members. And I don't know, or if you want to talk about this, but 
we do deliver nutritious food um, to our most vulnerable members as a way to try to help them stay healthy. Yeah, that's it. It's um, it's it's that's an important. I mean, nutrition. You know, it's like the the, the foundation of you know the foundational building blocks of life. We have to have wa- water, water, medical care. You know, and 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 good nutrition. I mean, it's so big. Um, I'm gonna skip the question and um, far only by virtue of time. But I want to ask. I mean, um, I have two uh, last questions. And Martha, I want you to take the first because as CEO and president of you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rhode Island, the largest, you know, insurer in the state. Um, what is the like the number one thing that's keeping you up at night vis-a-vis caregiving as you look to the future? And what do you think is, you know, kind of in the next five to 10 years, what is the, like the number one thing that you think is going to be used to mitigate that? It's such a good question. Um and I don't know if I have the clarity of thought to get to one. I would just say I have a lot of energy around the gap in um, child care. I think that it's really holding women back. I think you talked about the pandemic. And so as so many people were home, a lot of those daycares and, and other um, organizations uh, went out of business or um, couldn't staff. Um, the organizations. And so we're, we're having lots of our teammates really struggle with getting access to childcare. And I think it's a, you know, it's a national problem, but it's definitely acute here uh, in the state of Rhode Island. So I think if we can't fix um, women and families having access to adequate childcare, we're, we're not going to get women fully back into the workforce um, in a way that's sustainable because they're back. Uh, but they're doing two jobs sometimes, uh, three jobs if you count taking care of elderly parents. So I just think that that's the, the, the most important thing. And when you think about the investment in kids and things like Head Start and other programs that we know have such a profound impact on the success for individuals throughout their whole lives and the, therefore the success of their families and improving um, their access to good jobs and, and you know, ongoing, uh, really strong education. So uh, to me, I have a lot of um, energy on the issue of how do we help with child care. But I think as you look at the demographics of our country, our demographics are not about having more babies. The demographics are about um, the society aging. And so I think that um, many people are stuck in the sandwich generation where we need to solve better care for our aging, you know, parents and people in our society, we've got to have sustainable mechanisms. Long-term care has not been an industry that's uh, worked. Um, and uh, I've gone through this with multiple aging okay. parents and parents, you know, in law, and it's it's a it's a absolutely broken. Um, and so we've got to figure out a structural way to help people and build that community where people can age uh, together and have. Um, and have some more of that social fabric. And I think we probably need to look overseas. To your opening question, I think you can look and see societies where um, we we aren't putting people off to the side. They're, they're part of everyday life and they have a kind of support that lets them age in place. And the last thing I would say, and I'll stop talking, is that you know we have an affordable housing crisis in Rhode Island and we don't have a, enough of those units that somebody can age in place. Um, and so trying to help people, you know, have smaller units that are one level where they can actually be self-sufficient 
for a longer period of time is a big, big focus for us here in Rhode Island as well. Um, I, I appreciate all of that. I mean, a lot of those sound like, um, well, they're investment challenges, they're structural challenges, and really they're policy challenges. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll flip the last question to each of you in turn. Um, it's always my closing question, just like defining the topic is the first, which is what's your greatest hope from where we are in terms of caregiving in the United States in 20 years from now or 30 years from now? Well, that already ready to go first? <laughs> With that, I mean, I think that it was great. Your comments related to where we need to move in the future as a country. Um, I would also build in there when you look at the statistics related to health, specifically mental health, and also Martha, you alluded to the difficulties getting childcare during the pandemic. But that was also the case for home health care services for caregivers, and that was disproportionately felt by uh, pe people of color. So Black and Hispanics had higher rates of all of these issues. And I think that what I would hope is that there is the caregiving topic, but it's in the broader context of equity in our country that we need to kind of address that all of that will be um, exacerbated. I'm, I'm smiling because a uh, few episodes ago, we spoke with the CEO of uh, Hip Hop Public Health um, and and we were taught it was the future of public health equity. And And as we've had this conversation, I'm realizing more and more that they are uh, again, equated topic. Absolutely. Martha, what is uh, what is your greatest hope? Well, I guess my greatest hope is that we have more of this conversation so that we we do normalize it and that we create policy changes and interventions to help. I think we as an employer, uh, as an insurer can um, play a role. I think we can help uh, with other employers and social um, organizations here in Rhode Island. But we have, um, I think there's some policy interventions that are going to be important to um, to try to get us on a better trajectory where we have uh, people are living very long, much longer than we uh, had predicted when we set up uh, things <laughs> like Medicare and Social Security. Those are not sustainable. So as you think about the policy uh, and the entitlement programs we have, we're going to need to make changes in how those work for the fiscal health of our country. And they're not really working all that well right now in some ways for uh, people who are outliving um, their resources. And so I think we need real policy intervention. So my greatest hope uh, is that we actually uh, move forward to try to tackle this issue in a really responsible, sustainable way. Wow. Um, well, I certainly uh, second that hope. Uh, I think that it is uh, we cannot be the greatest nation in the world if that's what we want to remain ourselves and as claims if uh, if this is the crisis that we're facing. Thank you both for joining me on Future of XYZ today, our last episode of 2023. Uh, thank you for the incredible work that you're doing and the uh, I hate to say it, but there is a, a feminine leadership quality of empathy and compassion that is very evident uh, in an industry that is often lacking uh, in that. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And for everyone watching and listening, thank you for joining us this fourth season, uh, 115 episodes of Future of XYZ. You can find us anywhere you get your favorite podcast. You can also watch us on Future of XYZ, uh, which is a YouTube station hosted by our presenting partner, Rhode Island PBS. It's ripbs.org forward slash XYZ. Follow us on Instagram 
and visit future-of.xyz to learn more and nominate yourself or someone else as a guest for our 2024 season five. Thank you. Happy holidays. And thank you again to uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rhode Island, Martha Walford and Farah Shafi for joining us today. Take care. Thank you. Thanks.